Done. We are live. All right. So um, welcome to Into the Core podcast with myself, Linda. Of course, I'm your host. And today I am joined by such a lovely lady. I want to call her a friend. I want to call her a sister. I want to call her fam fam. Um, she is just an amazing um, woman. Diana Poti, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Finally, we made it happen. Yes, Linda. And the funny thing is we're actually neighbors. So it's very <laughs> exactly. We like mm -hmm. live down the road from each other. You know, I'm walking to your place today. So just an yes. FYI. No, Before before we get into it, I usually start my intro and I'm about to do that right now because that's just how we roll. And then we'll get straight into the questions um, and yeah, and just chat about everything in it that is happening within the fashion industry. So here we go. Into the core. Get into it. All good things in Africa and beyond. Alrighty, so um, <laughs> that is the intro. Kenny Allen, shout out to you. Thank you so much for making that happen. Um, every time I listen to it, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm so professional. Anyway, okay. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like silly. All right, so um, Diana, why don't we, shall we start from the very beginning? <laughs> this is this is usually a very interesting um thing for me because I'm not sure what the beginning is in any context. But my background is actually TV production. So I'm a journalist and I created content for different shows on MNET. And yeah. because of in fact that's how we first met Linda if you remember. Yes. Because, yes. We had come to Addis to cover the call um the Hub of Africa Fashion Week in Addis. <laughs> and I think that yeah. was twenty twelve, right? That yes. was twenty twelve, yeah. Yeah, so that's um, really what I love to do. I love to create content, and video content for me was um, the direction that I took for lifestyle um, for lifestyle programs. So yeah. um, I think after a while I got tired because we kept traveling across the continent, and one time it would be a music show, then we'd go to a vineyard. Another time would be in a wine, would be doing um, a book reading, another be a fashion event. So I felt that or even a cooking segment, right? <laughs> so yeah. I just felt that I was so, what do you, I, I, just, I wanted to specialize, right? Because I was all over the place, I felt. And I, I wanted something that would ground me. And of all the content I'd ever um, worked on, I think fashion for me was the most exciting. Going behind the scenes, getting a fast week of clothes, seeing um, models getting dressed, talking to designers. And I'd made friends already because of the show. So I thought it would be nice to tell the stories of designers going to their studios, see them preparing um, for their fashion, um, I mean, for their latest collections. 
So I remember before I left the show I was working on, that was, um, it was called Mashiriki Mitsunanda, a lot like student mm -hmm. in Nigeria. And I was the serious producer for it. And I wrote a treatment saying that I was going to interview designers for a show. And of course, I pitched it to Annette. And I remember the commissioning editor at the time said to me that um, it would be so difficult to interview creators and just listen to them. And I said, but we have so much nice footage that go behind the scenes. We then just invite for them. And so I knew that if I really wanted to pursue this, I'd have to, have to go out on my own. So I created a show called Designing Africa. And I remember I came back to Habitat Africa, if you remember. I traveled to um, South Africa for Fashion Week. I went to Lagos for Lagos Fashion Week. And yeah, and I also interviewed designers. So that was the first series for the show. I've never really liked being in front of the camera. That's the funny thing. But I was now the interviewer. And it was for me, I think, 2012 to 2014 was the happiest I've ever been in my career. And you know I, what? I I remember um, when we were going back and forth between myself and Mahalet and you and um, inviting you and we were so excited. We're like, what? We're going to be featured on DSTV, Mnet, big time. We are here. We've made it. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're just like, what? They're coming. They're going to feature us. Um, and I remember meeting you. And one thing that really struck me was the questions that you had for us, you know, you know, why we went in a certain direction, why we were doing, you know, we, um, we were getting, we had partnered then with USAID and they would, they were handling the exhibition and we were, you know, making sure that we promoted, you know, designers. Um, it was the first time we got buyers because USAID brought in like 10 buyers and we so disappointed them. These are the um, when I say I disappointed them, not in a bad sense, but because it was a learning lesson, you know, and I remember you asking, you know, about the buyers and about the designers, just really key questions. And I think that at the, I feel like that was, was that the moment where you were just like, okay, this is it, this I'm, I'm getting into it, which is exactly what you just said, you know, yeah. um, yeah, because for me, that was what I wanted to do with the show. For me, fashion has never really been about looking the hottest. For me, it was about um, supporting local businesses, um, appreciation of local designers and brands, which a lot of people don't. It's not that they don't care. They just don't know, right? Um, yeah. Many, yeah, people even reference African fashion suggests Ankara, right? And so yeah. for me, um, it was really important that I told the stories of the designers and the creators. And I remember that I used to get into so many different conversations about the different aesthetics and just getting people to understand that fashion was, it was, it was more than just looking hot, right? We've got yeah. such great designers who have such strong um, stories, you know, and there's also a new generation of people. So what's the point of going to fashion school if you'll never practice it as a business? And yeah. Even now, as we're running a business, we realize that um, banks and financial institutions don't really care for fashion, right? They don't. Yeah. The investments that they would put in different businesses, fashion doesn't really get um, prioritized, right? So for me, right in the beginning with this show, it was 
It was about telling the different stories and just encouraging that whole idea that you can actually support them within. You know, um, of course, there's a population that cannot afford first-hand clothes, so the second-hand markets have served their purpose um, for years. But what about local history? Uh, why isn't it easy for us to produce locally? Um, why isn't the government taking into consideration importation, um, local production? We're so... Um, we're, we're the, our governments are prioritizing um, bringing in other companies from other countries than they are in local investment in manufacturing. Investing in our local, exactly. Yeah, so whether it's the leather industry, um, and you know, even case in point, if you looked at what Nigeria is doing, you know, the whole leather industry, the textile industry, and that is just even on the manufacturing side. There's another whole component that we don't talk about when we talk about fashion, which is sustaining traditional um, traditional ways of making textile. Um, Wait. And keeping those um, stories. Yeah. No, hold your thought. I was going to say, um, you know, before you even jump that far into... Oh, you're just about to take it somewhere where I'm like, wait, wait one moment. Um, talk to me about the difference. And I'm sorry I cut you short, but talk to me about the difference. I mean, like, because you were behind the scenes with designing Africa, you were talking to specific designers, understanding their background. So you've got your East Africa, you've got, you know, um, you were down south, you were to Lagos and the works. Tell me what the different elements are between all sectors. And for me, I'm going to ask a very personal question. Why is Kenya so behind in the fashion industry? And I say we're behind because a lot of the focus and emphasis is put between South Africa and Nigeria. Those are the go-to places. Even when it comes to models, the go-to place is Cape Town. When it comes to and the, and I say not just models, I mean like international models, and and th and that's a whole other beast I'll be covering next week. But I mean, what is it that is lacking? What have you? What what was your, what was what's your perspective in that sense of West Africa versus what's happening here in East Africa versus what's happening down south? <laughs> a number of things, right? So um, yes, if you just a little bit talked about the whole South Africa thing. I think South Africa, more so Cape Town, has a competitive advantage when it comes to the modeling and fashion shoot season, right? Yeah, Which, yeah. Maybe it's the, um, it's the, the similar calendar. No, actually they're in the reverse, so it works a lot. It works in their favor. But the, the whole thing is that it's, it, it comes from a history and a culture of, of promoting local, right? So the tourism industry doesn't make it easy for anyone even local photographers to shoot in our own country. Um, yeah, you know, even if you and I were on the streets and CBD, someone would ask if I were taking photos. And a watchman at that, right? You need yeah. permits, very difficult. And even the system of getting those permits going is really, it's expensive, right? Um, yeah. But so I think when it comes to shooting, um, shoot locations and that, it's basically how countries have set themselves up and what they're selling yeah. for tourism beyond that makes it attractive for people to shoot there, plus the cost of being there. And I find that most of Africa is really expensive um, yeah. to do business things, right? So there's yeah. that. But in terms of um, how much local industry has grown, again, if you reference the industry setups, you know, mm -hmm. um, our Ministry of Tourism, 
or trades should have allowances for um, designers. I mean, they should put in investment for designers to go for the big show. Um, this is yeah. a kind of um, incentives to get designers to produce locally. So all the incentives go to anyone who's exporting, right? So for example, yeah. exporting zones that are tax-free, um, maybe, I mean, they're all just designated places, like the EPZ um, designated places, but they're all for people who are going sending products out. And those companies are not even Kenyan owned. 90% of them are foreign investors. So I guess, um, to just put it brutally, I think our government has always been invested in foreign investment. That's where they put the highest goals, right? Secondly, I know that everyone thinks, oh, we need to have a fashion council, we need to put ourselves together. Um, that's what's wrong with Kenya compared to other countries. But, you know, I don't think it's that. I think that even where the fashion councils have tried to exist, the red tip around doing business here is impossible, right? You say 35% extra duty to bring in success. That already means a place of immediate friendship, right? Um, we don't have, and we haven't encouraged for a long time, local production of, even in agriculture, cotton gineries in the Kisumu region, Lanza, all of them are closed. Now they're being reopened, but they're so old, with 25 years of not running in this, right? So I yeah. think. Um, from the political business side, our governments are just not interested in textile and apparel, which is a bit of a shame because it's like one of the most basic ones for me. Right? We, we, we used to be ahead of the game, I mean, in the 70s, 80s, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. And now there's no emphasis that it, I mean, I do see, I'm, I'm happy that Rivertex is back, but I'm, you know, I'm waiting for us to come to a space where um, locally when we're producing that it makes sense for the designers, you know, mm. which is a reason why we keep sourcing just one single tailor or two, you know, or two tailors as opposed to going into mass production and making, you know, um, the apparel available to everybody, you know. Yeah. I just don't think the emphasis has been on local fares for local consumption. Yeah. Rectifying. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's it, it's really in, it's very interesting. So I've been watching this show, um, which was about the whole South African, <laughs> the South African side of the modeling and Cape Town and and the works, and you know why we've got all those big. Um, magazines out there, um, you know, your glamour, your cosmos and everything. And I was like, why isn't East Africa ever being represented? Um, but at the same time, uh, like you said, the red tape, it, it makes it hard for us to do anything out here. The red tape is too much. And by the time all these amazing photographers are flying in, models are flying in and flying out, then, you know, cost of living and the works. And I don't know, it's it, for me... That. That's just one side of it, right? The reality, That's one side. <laughs> there's no, there's no retail environment for fashion in Kenya. It's not strong enough. You know, we don't have. Talk to me. Uh, explain that. There's no retail environment in Kenya. Just explain that a little bit. You know, I think that because of our introduction into the fashion industry, I think many people are obsessed with 
being a name designer or being known, right? If you go to countries mm-hmm. like Korea and South Africa, and even mm-hmm. Ghana, people, if you love fashion and you want to make clothes, you just get on with it, right? You don't have to yeah. be small. Um, if you're doing yeah. it out the street in South Sea or South B, like if you go down Cliff Street or Bryce Street, Bryce Street um, in South Africa, in Cape Town, like all the small designers exist, right? So there's a culture for making clothes and selling clothes, and there's so many different designers. And of course, there'll always be celebrity designers who stand out, right? But here, I feel like it's one or the other. So if you're either a name designer, right? Um, mm-hmm. Amazing clothes, but nobody has access to them because you're not in the retail model of ready to wear, or yeah. exist. So it's it's just like oh, I make anything from Ankara, so anything that anyone wants to make, you you have it right. So I just don't think that, especially in this region, in this region, enough designers take fashion seriously. So there's not enough of a retail market for you to even have a fashion magazine for a proper fashion week that runs three days, like they do in Nigeria. Or South Africa, um, even in Ghana, I just don't think we have enough here. You know, I, who take the business of fashion seriously? Correct. Yeah, like I, I just don't see enough, and I don't see enough exceptional work, or enough even even if we say ready to wear, like enough for you to say, I'm excited, and that's. But, like, huh? Let me ask you, when you say not exceptional enough, I mean, I've seen some really, okay, I've seen amazing brands that have come out of Kenya. Um, but when you see, do you mean like more on the ready to wear lane versus couture no, so and one, one off pieces or? There's just not enough. Like, you know, Kenya is such a significant market, right? Yeah. Africa have maybe even Eastern Central Africa have a lot of things, right? It's not enough to say I've seen a few exceptional brands from Kenya. Like Kenya should be in the tens of in the hundreds. We should there should be new designers coming up, right? We should yeah. that's that's my problem. I'm not saying there's no one at all, but it's a handful of people who are serious players, right? But right. an industry that cultivates a youth generation to do more, right? So I'm not yeah. even interested in over-the-top glamour, red carpet style, auto-couture type clothes. That's never right. been my interest my aesthetic of a person, right? So even just ready-to-wear pieces that you don't overthink before buying, and that's why fashion wear is so expensive for people are not buying it, because why are you going to buy a normal white shirt for $200, right? And right. Yeah. So this is the thing. I just don't think there are enough people taking it seriously enough. I don't think we have a proper retail, retail um, infrastructure that even listens to designers, you know? We would pay rent in malls the same as any international player. The rent is the same, you know? There are not enough incentives yeah. to it. So there's, on one part, there's the challenges of designers face money. I'm sure that's, that's uh, a very big consideration. But I don't think the industry enough to make and encourage the growth of a young business. I would, you know what? I would, I would be so encouraged to find, um, you know, a mall. Um, and I say this because I love this mall, but like a mall like Roslyn. Um, sorry. 
I'm like, you with your, I don't know if it was a motorbike or anyway. So I, I would be encouraged because like a mall like for me, like Roslyn Riviera Mall in terms of shopping space. And this is not, I'm not pushing this out there like this, but it's one of the malls for me that I love, right? Yeah. Because it's small, it's quaint, it's got character to it for me. It gives me California vibes. Maybe it's the color, maybe it's the openness. And then it's got its cute little courtyard. And mm -hmm. I would love to see a mall. And I and this is maybe a, a challenge for the retail industry, but I'd love to see a mall that comes up that supports local designers, you know, um, gives them a space um, to, to um, you know, to, to have their shops. Imagine what, um, imagine, uh, uh, um, and, and, you know, I'm saying in hindsight, imagine having all these tourists who come into the country and then they're being led to, oh, if you want to see all these Kenyan brands, they're all in this beautiful mall, they're all here, you could go in. And, you know, you're learning about all the different brands that are coming out of Kenya. You just never know, like, you'd be changing the scope and the dynamic of what it means to shop in Kenya. I mean, you know well, what I mean, as opposed to... Yeah. I hear you, Linda, and you know, to be fair, the mall I'm in, Village Market, does that a lot. I think it has the highest population of independent-owned brands. That is true. So yeah. kudos to Village Market. Yeah, but then, you know, that's one mall in this big city. Like, yeah. what I'm just trying to say with this whole thing is that not enough is being done to encourage the fashion industry. It's not enough. It's always like, oh, there's always this token person who's doing something great, right? Oh, yeah. there's, there's always this one. It should be competition for you to get better, right? So even to go back to your first question where you asked, is it um, um, when I said exceptional enough? Mm. I mean, a proper brand story, you know, there's a brand called 100 Years and it just sells shots. Yeah, I love their stuff, yeah. Yes, you see that's like a brand. So it's one of the simplest things. We're not even comparing it to a number of people that can do But you see, it has a very, it's the most basic brand but it's the most complete in the story as well in terms of you know that the go to shop them, right? And I feel yeah. like not enough is being done in a serious enough way for us to talk about the kind of fashion industry. And I think there's lots of strides, there's great brands that keep coming up. Um, but then again, the balance is always off for me. So we've got, what, 10 great designers who are local and then 10 foreign designers or 20 foreign designers playing in the same market. So I feel like and I always have this conversation with a friend of mine that Kenya just, we just take, everyone can just do business in our market, right? Yeah. So we don't protect designers. We don't protect an industry. We don't, there's almost, like Linda, it would be nice if you could just name 10 top brands. Just top of your head. Do you know what? It's so funny because that's exactly what I was, what I was just putting down. I literally was putting name brands that are ready to wear. I mean, um wow yeah let's let me go for it um peggy o i love the stuff that she's doing right now with the shirt dresses and everything for me it's just like are you wearing a peggy o oh i hate you i love you peggy. um so there's peggy can people watch this interview live yes how it's like we are live um on we're on youtube go to into the core um into the core podcast we are live on facebook at the core fashion kenya at into the core podcast yeah all right cool. yeah 
um, and it will be available also on YouTube. You know, if the more comments we get, the more we can continue even the conversation after this, you know, we can come back and we can keep talking about it. But okay, wait, name top. Okay, so wait, let's be fair. Um, Katungulu, Peggy O, um, ready to wear. Uh, um, um, Itikadi, um, uh, Deepa Dosaja, because she's got her ready to wear line. Um, uh, what is it called? K what is it called? Um, I, I like that we have names. There's Fiona K. There's um, uh, Icon Light. But but you know this is the thing. They're not enough. I see yeah. where you're coming from. As in they should be flowing from our mouths, yeah. like easily. Putting them in aesthetics. You want something luxury? There. You want... anyway. But that's not the thing. I love my country, but I'm just saying that. A lot more attention could be given to developing yeah. um, proper brands. And, yeah, uh, yeah, just beyond the craft shows, beyond the pop-ups that happen, right? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and then that will encourage manufacturing and production. You know, so yeah. Do you um, think we need breaks when it comes to manufacturing and production in 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 Kenya? Um, I remember, you know, I know that Tracy Kabata, who you also know, you know, she's into, um, she's into production and it's not the easiest thing. I mean, by the time, you know, the cost out here of producing is so expensive. And I really feel that there needs to be a break in order to see something significant, a good shakeup within the industry to allow designers to actually produce. I mean, um, and... So to that's really what I was going. I was I was immense rather. Yeah, gotcha. Right. Um, yeah. Who's producing here? There's three producers who produce for designers, which means all designers are producing Kismo, which is also great for a small community and a local economy because then yeah. it's job creation. But if you're talking about being able to say be on an online platform that can sell your stuff across the African markets, for example, then we should be talking about numbers and production, right? And yeah. to go back to the original point, which was the government is more has more incentives or breaks for people who are producing for export. So all the mm -hmm. all the EPZ zones, right? It's tax free. It's this. Um, I'm sure even the electricity is regulated. Because one of the most expensive things about producing here is the cost of electricity. Yeah. Right. So yes, there could be breaks. There should be areas where young designers um, could produce, you know, or have little hubs. Yeah. Um, yeah, but definitely. Yeah, you know, I think the thing is, if we talk about policy, um, it, that's I think a whole it, other different fight. Yeah, and then <laughs> a permanent bush list that everyone in the fashion council has proposed before. You know, all those people, all of the past generations of designers who've always pushed for this agenda. I feel like there's already a wish list. It's just yeah. action. Yeah. It's, um, um, I would love, you know, I, um, I know that the Fashion Council is out there and I know that there's, you know, there's talks behind the talks behind the talks, um, you know, um, things are being pushed, but I mean, the foot really needs to be put down on the government, you know? 
like a solid foot and a solid kick um, into into government and policy and really an outcry from um, our local designers who need to show up and show out and show the government. You know, I remember I went for this. Um, let me just call us. Uh, let me just call it out. So we went for the um, ADB um, fashionomics. <laughs> that was interesting. So we went for fashionomics, and there was a um, a representative from the Ministry of Trade, and uh, um, and I was the guy was just like, I said, oh, there's designers, there's local designers. What do you mean? You people, you guys are manufacturing. I don't see your things anywhere, and you're just like, oh my gosh. As in, I, you know, uh, for me, it was, I was like, how do you show up to fashionomics and you have no idea about the fashion industry? It is impossible, you know? And I remember like the whole room was, you know, people were so vexed by, by that show of lack of knowledge for our fashion industry. And that's why I'm saying somebody really needs to put the foot down representation you know showing up to meetings and everything all that great stuff that's good and dandy but you know guys need to show up and show out <laughs> i don't know if you know i might be causing a, a riot here but i'm not all i'm just trying to say is um if we're going to represent represent all the way but let me not you know um no, like on that one um but i always feel like every so often there's an interest in the fashion industry by really big players they did well yeah in different countries right um because i remember they took some designers to new york fashion week um i remember lagos as well when i was there for, there were some designers from Ethiopia. So most of this platforms work, but I wonder if the challenges, again, back coming back to it, is the way the designers here are supposed to operate, or the way we used to operate, so it's not significant enough. So what's the point yeah. of the trade show when they don't have the capacity to fulfill an order, you know, um, or even to show up for that trade show? So yeah, so I guess that's a whole other yeah we can it's do that. No, but I, I so tell, talk to me. Oh, yeah. So I no, it really is a, a whole other different beast to just um yeah how they're forced to 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 work out here and they can't even produce. I I mean um and if you can produce, it's to capacity and then oh gosh and then when you start thinking about sourcing of textiles, oh my gosh, that's a whole other anyway guy. It's for like hanging on to you know dear life because um just getting the materials to come in and the taxes that you pay for it coming in and then by the time you're costing it out we yeah. need breaks that's the truth we we definitely need the breaks um in in regards to having um a different perspective and you starting the designing collective um designing africa your store um um how how has that process been because it's you've gone into creating a concept store selling you know brands from all over africa supporting even 
local brands. How has that been? How's the journey been? Because every time I walk in, I see, I come to your store. I'm always just like, oh my gosh, beautiful. Um, but how has that journey been for you? Um, I I don't know. I think I've grown so much in the last three years. But before we do this, Linda, I just want to promote your post, right? So maybe if we, what hashtag should I put on Instagram that people can catch it? So anyway. I think for me, the thing was, I had an idea to bring brands together because I did a campaign called 100 Days of African Fashion and wore different African brands. And then that sort of created a demand for product. And I, yeah. No, I was gonna say, I was sitting with you at Monaco's when you were like, I really have, because everyone is doing 100 Days of Happiness. I don't know, 100 Days of blah, blah, blah. And you're like, mine's. <laughs> I created a hundred days of something, and then you, yes, you did. And then everybody um, started doing a hundred days of something else. That's the history. ah, yeah. Oh hell, I didn't even know. Okay, so yeah, but then the one hundred days of African fashion, I remember and, that. Yes, and it, it, for me, it takes what thirty. It took. It takes ninety days to um, properly convert, even when you're doing a campaign. So that really yeah. to it, right? So 100 days is just the right enough amount of time for you to start something, modify it as you go along, get a few people going and interested. By the time you get to the 100th day, you've converted people, right? And that really was the thing for me with um, 100 days of African fashion, which was the craziest thing I've ever done. Um, I couldn't. I don't know if I could do it now. I I didn't know that I had the patience for it. Huh? But yeah, but then I wore different African brands. In the beginning, it was from my closet. I because I'd been doing the designing African show, and so I wore different pieces that I had bought from different designers, and then designers that would write to me and ask me if I could feature those pieces. So it took a life of its own, and I loved doing that. We yeah. For three years, yeah. Got us in CNN, the BBC business and fashion listing but really i wasn't doing it for fame or to become an influencer or anything right i was, mm -hmm. I was doing 100 days to really expose brands that was a genuine idea behind it but then of course it created a demand for product people also started to look at Nairobi differently because while we're not necessarily um Top of mind when it comes when people talk about design, people yeah. really look at the Nairobi market as um, as a really strong cosmopolitan market. It's a good business market actually, and mm. I think that also made um, we managed to spotlight Nairobi in that way. So designers want to come to the city, they wanted to produce their brands, and that's maybe the the dinosaur PR point came from. Because it was more for how they come to the local market, um, where the signage, um, where would I set up shop? We did a lot of that kind of work for people, including pop-ups that I hosted. So it, yeah. it, it, a natural thing that I would open a store, but I've never done business before. I don't know that I knew what I was getting into at the time. Um, <laughs> I That's just, so honest. Yeah, at the time I just I, I thought I could do it. Um, 
it seemed a grand idea. At the time, to be honest, I didn't even need the money. I was making money from the TV program. So I wasn't yeah. getting, it was just like a fulfillment of a journey. That's the reason why I started it. I started the, the shop. And then I was very clear I wanted to have a less than ordinary store because I've always pushed for the idea that everything could be locally made. So even right. in the design, everything from the floor to the, the artwork on the wall, we didn't do wallpaper. I got an artist to come and paint the walls. It was, yeah, another fun period of my life. I think yeah. I do projects that make me happy. And um, yeah, so that's why I did, I got into the store. But the realities of business, um, it's been the toughest last, what, 18 months for us. We've been three months old. Um, the COVID situation hasn't helped it. But even before that, 2019 was a terrible business year, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, so we always sold premium priced clothing, which means maybe the cheapest thing in our store, the most affordable was $130. And then wow. we average at between $180 and $250 for the medium priced pieces, right? Mm -hmm. But even if I reflect on that, you know, this is what's difficult about selling African fashion. It's not that people aren't interested in it. It just feels a little bit out of reach, you know? And it's because, well, we've spent $100,000 to bring in a shipment from Nigeria, so we have to spread that cost back. Um, the design is already priced for a premium price point, so there's that too. And then you have to have your permission because you're running a business and you have overheads, right? So I feel like the game here is it's 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 just difficult to do business i feel it's it's it, if it's not the excise duty when you bring it in it's going to be the shipping cost and that's another thing to talk about the infrastructure across oh. the shipping is a nightmare so you have to go back to big players like rmx and dhl um for shipping you don't really have a seamless infrastructure and, you know, my, my question also, maybe even on this forefront is, you know, I've seen DHL partner with people in Ethiopia. I mean, they they, they partnered with Fukurta, I remember. You know, I think it would be so great if they partnered with the, with the industry or even with you right now. I mean, that should be one of their main, it should be on their agenda. I, you know. Yeah, they will partner... DHL will partner for an e-commerce store, I think. That was the thing. Mm. We still are going to pay. So never mind. My shipping costs are the cheapest costs. I can literally yeah. pay $120 to bring in a shipment from South Africa, right? That's the okay. shipment, right? The shipment is valued at $1,000 in wholesale pricing, right? Mm -hmm. My duty when I bring in that product is another $1,000. So the problem yeah, is you end up paying the same amount, yeah, which does not make sense. How many times? Yes, and if we don't do it the right way for us, then we can't claim our money back and we can't knock up against expenses, right? So again, it bites you. Um, but this is the thing it's so expensive to trade across the continent, it's impossible, right? To trade across the continent, yes, especially bringing in things and then the timeline. So if you're going to use the post office, good luck if it gets here. You know, and that's valuable. It's not, it's not like a pair of sneakers that your boyfriend is sending you from the state. Of the this is a whole consignment 
but you also want to be in control of when it gets to you. So the post mm. is a bit slow. And then people will be like, well, it's worked for me in the past, but it's too risky, you know? So there's that. So there's another method of traveling to a country to bring back books, but that's not sustainable in the long term. It also means of course. Yeah. And yeah, so it's, um, it's, it, there's this, if we could better the trade across the country, it would be better for us in the long run. To be honest, I'm African to buy more African products. I think it was in 2012 when, um, was it 2012? Yes, it was 2012 when we had, there was a conference in Addis Ababa and I sat on a panel um, at um, the UNECA and they were talking about trade um, trade in Africa and from a fashion perspective, uh, what the ideas were. And I just remember, and we go back to this same place where we leave this beast in the room and the elephant, the big, huge elephant in the room was go back to your countries and mm -hmm. make sure you, you, you push policies. You know, you have to push the policies with your government. If you if you don't manage to do that, there's no way um, you know intra-Africa trade can happen. Um, and this ambassador just shut me down, and he was just like, "Yeah, we can't help you. So go back to your government, talk to your government, and then come back to us, and then we can see what we can do from there." But if there's you know across the board in Africa, if there's no movement happening where Diana Oporti and the rest of the Kenyans within the fashion industry are talking to the rest of the, the designers and fashion industry key leaders in, in Uganda and Tanzania and whatever, and we all get together and we all at the same time start pushing Hi, policy. I have my own medical practice. Yeah. Nothing, nothing is going to happen, you know? So why, why would we be, you know, why, you know, why, how would these, um, trade barriers be, you know, be lowered, you know, how do the tariffs come down? It has to work across the whole of the African continent. It can't just be like Kenyans looking for it, you know, so there has to be a little bit of some synergy happening um, in order to create that type of a platform. Yeah. We have platforms coming up, you know? Mm. Um, I know there's a platform. Talk to me. No, 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 I'm just thinking, top of mind. I know there's a platform called Afrimart, which is supposed to take off. I mean, it's going to be the Amazon for Africa, right? But mm -hmm. it's platforms like that um, that, that will push or force government to change how we do business, right? Because yeah. intra-Africa trade is a very relevant conversation for all of us right now. We cannot yeah. relate to what the Kenyan market is looking at online. Yeah. Oh, can you go into this or blah blah blah? I feel like intra-Africa trade is the big step, and I think it's players like that who are going to change how governments enforce um, all these treaty things that they write, but they don't really, you know, they're all in trade yeah. trade zones, but those are not effective as a border. You know, we should be able to open shop in Tanzania because they're part of. I think they're part of. There's IGAD, there's ECOWAS, the different trade zones, right? So it's those. Yeah. It's um, in platforms like that that are going to sort of push for bigger policies at that level, right? Then we can yeah. focus on making it easy to produce in our countries. 
and you can push that is true yeah but then also the um i think a lot of things are changing you know Hiva, Hiva with their growth funds um i mean the different growth funds or funds that they give local creatives i think yeah. over the years as well and that would be an interesting person to talk to to Bashara for you i mean just to understand yeah. how the lending has evolved over time because mm. moving from the grant model more to a business capital or a business capital loan is i think what it should go because i think a lot of cases are used to the freebies right you need mm. a grant this so there's no sense of business responsibility in the long run so um yeah i i think african lots of work to be done um i i there's a lot of work to be done oh my gosh and then i'm only imagining now on your side of the store so by the time you get into your pricing um at the store yeah. then so, yeah and you know the thing is you know um the pandemic period was interesting for me because it made me rethink because before there's novelty of the fact that we brought in things from different african countries so that's what made the store different but i have bigger sense of what more am i doing for kenya now and pushing the local economy beyond my business yeah so for me i think we've, we've put to to rest important for a while from different yeah and even if we continue to do it it won't be to the same degree my shop was like an african collective i think i'm more interested in seeing how to work with local designers right now and artisans because it's important for me um to keep that economy going a lot of designers had to let go of their tailors and um yeah so it's not been easy for anyone so i think yeah. that's also opened up my eyes to just how difficult it is you know um there's a lady who produces our things and um, the brand is anasa the private mm -hmm. label and right now she's so busy because this one person it's a nice little boutique production house so what are other options right so if you go down to nakuru to bedi then you're talking about bigger numbers so where's that sweet spot for production because i would think that right now with so much interest in fashion um there would there should be um a look someone should be looking into production as a business as a as an actual business we don't have enough small scale producers here i could be wrong but it's been difficult for us to find someone who can take small minimums because even in Victoria, we have to do about 16 to 20 units. And then now you think about how you're going to um, sell those pieces, right? So even yeah. those pieces, yeah. And the cost of production is what? Between $50 to $70 a piece? Yeah. For so those minimum numbers, right? And of course. Go, yeah. So this is, this is it's just, it's expensive to produce which means it's going to be expensive for designers i mean for people to buy so when you sell something at seven when you make it for 70 yeah the minimum selling price is 22,000 to 20 dollars 
You know what is interesting? I was just now that you've you, you know you mentioned Betty and you know the price, the, the pricings and the costings, and like you just said, I mean, I I remember much earlier you said that um, a lot of this doesn't work for our Kenyan economy. It actually works more for the international economy, um, uh, inclusive of the EPZ zone. But I was just thinking about, um, you know how easy it is on the other side to get your loans to get um you know to get the access of funding to even start producing in africa in kenya made in kenya made in africa you know um it's easy for you to have to get the resources to produce here you know whereas um you know which is costed obviously in us dollars and the reason why i'm i'm thinking about this and i really i do want to laugh about it because it's such a joke um, is because really I'm like our economy and our local manufacturers are really not interested in the local designers. They're more interested on the international front, you know. Um, and because of one, which is really sad. Yeah, but Linda, it's two things in that, right? One, our yeah. country is too little for them to waste time on. The, it's just like, what, Dana wants to make many dresses? when uh -huh. really right we also don't have seasons <laughs> that's another annoying thing right so what yeah. is our decision so these companies exist because they know for European winter we have orders from xyz stores we just we just the market for business like you know, for resources right yeah we're a resource market but we don't necessarily benefit so we don't have seasons and that can inform when or why we want to make anything. So our factory cannot depend on an unstructured market. And that's why I said, I think the, the problem really starts with our foundation for doing fashion and that mm -hmm. can be repaired. So some of those people would love to produce for us, but mm -hmm. no structure. You know, even when we don't have fashion, there's mm. creating a push for demand um, for people to change over stock or still don't necessarily even have winter or whatever sales. I'm not I'm not being delusional. Of course every market will have its season. But our seasons yeah. are very distinct. Whether we call them summer or winter, they're very, very distinct, right? We're going to yeah. cold into extreme the food. But nothing informs or drives the fashion industry to produce. So it, it, it would be impossible for a production house to put in consideration. So even if I had the minimum quantities that they would allow. Maybe they're, they're busy until November because now they're going to have a higher spending season, right? So yeah, yeah, just following how a traditional production market would work. So we wanted to do an active wear line. And so of course we tried to see who could do it. So in Bali, even if we place our orders today, mm -hmm. the first, um, and we're ready to go for production, we wouldn't get anything for four months. That's a backlog of work. Wow, yeah, of course. I mean, the whole industry, it's been turned upside down. Yeah, um, and, and so, you know, so, you know, things like that. And, but it's, it's not even, but Linda, when you think about it as well, this is an industry that works, right? There's, there's um, the high season for production, and then things go into production, and then there's quiet time where local players can come, maybe 
and maybe produce, right? But we just don't have a calendar for it. But let me ask you something. Isn't isn't that a good thing that we don't have a calendar, that we don't that we're seasonless? Do we have to really have a season? Sorry, let me just play the devil's advocate here. I mean, like um, the fact that we can wear, you know, um, I can wear my sundress with just a sweater on, you know, um, throughout the year. Yes, Linda, that's a great. Um, yeah, you see, so I'm not really talking about the lack of a season because of the weather. I'm talking mm -hmm. about the calendar that informs production decisions. That's uh, we fail out. No, so on the surface, it does. No, 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 it's fine. No, I hear you. I hear you. That's really what yeah. I was guessing, right? So for yeah. me, I'm not obsessed. I think we're blessed with great transseasonal trans weather, if you can say that, right? Um, yeah. So that's great. But it but has the a calendar itself. Yes, I, even for me, so obviously, Europe and countries that have proper weather patterns, if you can say that, because it's, one has to be rain or snow, whatever, right? But anyway, yeah. in those countries that have very distinct seasons, the seasons inform sales, so that affects retail. It informs the rush to get the new stock because, and that's from the retail side, right? Because it's of course, yeah. Right? In the same way, the, in the background, it also informs production. So, when we're talking about why local producers are producing for the export people, international, it follows the demand. There'll be fashion week, and then six weeks of the fashion week, or four mm. So, there's a certain fashion, and that's the calendar that I'm referencing, right? And that informs business. So, without that, that demand, hmm. uh, the highs of the demand, which are basically all oh, this fashion week, so in two weeks, everything that you saw on the runway is going to be installed or installed. Because it was six weeks, I think it's short enough, right? Yeah. Before, shops stand around stock maybe every every three months. Yeah. Then, yeah. Now, stores like Zara and others are popping, have new stock every 10 days, even. You know, so that's what. Yeah. It's what informs it's that kind of cycle that informs the demand for production, the numbers that people can sort of determine and say, I want 1900 units. So that's what I think, that's what I'm referencing when I'm talking about that calendar. And yeah. so without the fanciful for, forefront one, which is the fashion week, the rest yeah. can't have, can form a pattern, if that makes sense. And it also yeah. goes back to the last question when you said, we don't really have fashion magazines, right? So I know we've got yeah. lovely, lots of lovely photographers, incredibly talented photographers and stylists in the market, right? But it's yeah. fashion work. Um, it's fashion work, which is great, but it's not enough to sustain um, some titles, right? Yeah. And, and that's an international title, which also is a provocation yeah. for the industry to start creating something for us to consume. We should be able to open fashion magazines and see all these amazing um, fashion certain editorials. But is sorry, I was just thinking about like now even in terms of magazine. What is Couture still on? Maybe not. Understand. Maybe not now because of obviously the worst yeah. industry would have been publishing, right? Because advertising yeah. has been paused. So maybe not the last nine months, but I'm sure. 
and not only this afternoon. Yeah, I I love this comment. So somebody has just left a comment and said, um, Africa can have its own seasons, just like Asia. Why keep confirming to Western ideals? We can create our own demands and production cycles. I like that, yeah. which is, I feel like um, if we were to create, um, do we need that production and fashion calendar? Um, on your side, you would say yes, which I agree with you. Um, but now I do agree also on creating our own seasonal. I know that Max Aviv, um, he created the wet season, which I think yeah. was awesome, you know, created a calendar and everybody was like, uh, what is he doing? Um, and then um, all of this beautiful, you know, everyone started jumping into his, onto his own calendar, which was, you know, because you're, in monsoon season, it's raining, but it's still, you're still hot as hell outside. So um, I do feel that, yeah, I guess we, we definitely do need something. And you know that comment? I love it. That the thing is, um, even when we speak about seasons, I was in ref I'm referencing the fact that the Western world has got its seasons locked down, right? And those seasons inform how they produce it informs how people consume a job. It informs a sale period. It informs, that's really what I'm referencing. So whatever we call ours, in our school, we're always saying some news. But if you can have the most beautiful day window, and then there'll be this current of rain at 7 p.m., right? Yeah, yeah. So I agree that, yes, let's create our own seasons. Let designers also provoke and say, ah, wet season or monsoon. Whatever a creative starts, another tribe will follow, right? And Absolutely. So, yeah, so I'm all for evolving this rigid system, but it has to inform in such a way that it, I mean, it has to be done in such a way that it has a ripple effect on the other things that count. And the most important thing is the retail consumption. And here there's just no drive for, for buying. Like, even for us who've had a business for three for three years in a mall, well this the most predictable months are June because expats are shopping to leave the country. And then uh -huh. November and December because it's a festive season. And then January because winter bunnies are returning. <laughs> That's <laughs> what happens, uh, months, right? Yeah, I mean, um, and and then you have, I, I want to say maybe the first two weeks of January, and then it's dead until the 14th of February, like, hoping. Are people shopping on 14th of February and not on the <laughs> that, 14th? Exactly. So, um, yeah, we, the retail space in Kenya is very, very different in terms of um, even, you know, there's one thing that I, I've realized that there's people who would rather sit with dead stock in their stores, you know, because, do you know what I mean? You'd rather sit with dead stock rather than turn it over so that when people are coming, they see something fresh. Now, if I'm walking into a store and I see the same thing that I saw last year, June, are the same shirts and blah, 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 that is there, I'm just like why why comes <laughs> why are you doing this 
you know, you can't just sit with dead stock. You know, people need to start getting into that culture of get rid of, change up, look at consumer habits. You know what I mean? And 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 the work. So anyway, yeah. something no, interesting I, about. No, that's really funny because I'm like, it's talking about me. But also because designer things are really difficult to put on sale, right? But that's yeah. what I'm saying. Imagine that you had, let's think of the stock being a little bit different, right? So mm -hmm. not your design, not your designer stock per se, mm -hmm. but people. Yeah. This is the whole reason about this conversation, right? It yeah. should um, provoke us to think differently. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Secondly, other things we could do different. The only hesitation we've had in doing ridiculous sales um, is because we know there's a part in the people that form in their minds, right? So yeah. then you start to think, ah, every November, Diana has a sale. I'm just going to wait until November, right? Or people yeah. who bought things at um, premium, yeah, would it's just too personal. The market's too small here. I've had people complain before that oh, we support you when um, your brand starts out and releases a new collection, which is really when we need money. When yeah, you release something into the store, and that's where the wholesale system works, I guess. So um, yeah. I, I know that people will be so upset. If they had someone bought something for seventy-five dollars and they got it for like two hundred and fifty, <laughs> <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course, yeah. I feel in this yeah. market, everything is so personal. That's it funny. is, but you know, I'm also just realizing, like I said, the 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 spending habits, the retail habits. You know, if you're if you're in in the states and um, boss is going on sale, you bought that jacket, the blazer at $250 um, before it came out of season and now going into <laughs> into into fall, um, everything's on sale and you end up getting it for $50. I mean, quite frankly, th those were the sales I used to wait for. So mm. If you're gonna look at any crazy ass consumer, I'm just like, I don't care, I'll fall back, you know, this is, I, I'm gonna wait for it to go on sale. But there's people who are just like, I want it before so that I can hand it down and get the next big thing so that, you know, it, it, I just mm -hmm. feel like it's just a, a difference in, in, in how you place yourself. I'm about, I'm a, I'm a bargain uh, buyer, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, um, but what? now in Kenya, that completely changed the way of, of shopping because now you're like, wait a second, I know the story behind this brand. I understand where it's coming from. I understand now that it's helping a community. I hear that she's working with women who are spinning the, you know, the yarn, you know, so once it has that back end story and you really understand it and cut to where you're talking about traditional dyeing practices, because there's a village that is now doing the dyeing the way they used to do it, you know, back in the day and it's sustainable. Then you're just like, it's $150. I will get it for $150 as opposed to sitting there and bargaining consumer yeah. habits end up changing. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. And I think that's a blessing of being on the continent that it really matters in a genuine way. It's not like a big American company saying it's working with, um, children in somewhere. Like you really do know that every cent you spend goes back directly. 
so that it's exactly yeah um our stories are more authentic here i think or there's a better tracking system for yeah. a story and in most cases it's usually just two you know from i mean think about it even the international brands that end up coming and and producing here you know you see vivian westwood you know yeah. at the end of the day she's like oh i'm working with these ki you know these women in kibra and they're doing this and this is how it's made and by the time guys are buying even before it she goes on sale she's already sold out you know what yeah. i mean um uh, she's making her bags here she's doing whatever it is beadwork done by maasai people and this is what happens this is a reason why the whole made in africa made in kenya you know um concept in terms of storytelling in the western world works really hard but now we need to be our own supporters you know yeah. of our local communities but i wonder if it's harder to tell your story you know um to your local audience is it, it it has more novel appeal to like a western market than it would here you know everyone has a structure in the village you know like those tear-jacking stories, I wonder if the problem is not so much that Kenyans are Poles or Africans want to send to the story, but more the fact that they do, this is your reality every day. You're taking care of your housekeeper and his kid. Um, he goes to union, you need a laptop. You know, like you're constantly yeah. still doing good and supporting a small community. You just don't know how to write it out because it's more duty and practical societal obligation. And yeah. it's about feeling in a quarter and ethical and sustainable fashion, you know. So, yeah, I, I wonder if it's harder to sell that narrative here than it is in the West, of course. Because, again, um, mm -hmm. with some of these luxury brands, they will mm -hmm. pay minimum wage. And the minimum wage, according to the Kenyan government, is what? 350 a day. What is it? As long as there's a minimum wage amount. And it's um, it's minimum wages. I think 13,000, 13, somewhere around thirteen thousand, thirteen thousand five hundred, somewhere there a month minimum wage. Yeah, so thirteen thousand five hundred a month is about. Let's just do that, right? Because the oh, oh, I stand corrected. Uh huh. Yeah, these numbers are crazy. No, because yeah, that's minimum wage actually. Um, divide by twenty days is six seventy five per day. But they work what five hours, right? So yeah, basically, seven hundred dollars, seventy dollars, seventy dollars, right? A day. So, as long as you can pay these people minimum wage, you can sell it for two thousand dollars in the state, right? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, that a lot of a lot of our stuff just needs to change, man. It, it <laughs> there needs to be a shift. Something has to shift. Um, happened in Nigeria. <laughs> We're just the ones <laughs> playing with ourselves. Other know, I, stuff. Yeah. Can I? You were you were in touch with Tokyo, um, Tokyo James, right? So Tokyo, um, I was talking to him. The other, uh, he's a designer from from Nigeria. He's he's brilliant. He's just like an off the cuff person, goes against the grain. And um, I was telling him about stocking here, and he was just like, "Yeah, but in East Africa, nobody wants to spend money, Linda. Shift over to the West African market, man. Come and make money here." And and that really, I was like, "Really?" 
but it's true. I mean, like the, the countries that I know where they probably spend money, I know Ugandans spend money on dressing up. Yeah. You know, I give it up to Ugandans and Rundis. Mm. I think even Tanzanians. I don't know. We used to we used to get dressed up. We used to get dolled up and then something happened along the way and then we just got comfortable and we started showing up with, you know, jeans and a t-shirt when we're going out. You know, I mean, like, I'm just like, what happened? But I remember we used to, I mean, like much younger if, and this is just telling my age. Yeah, I'm in my forties, whatever. But um, when we used to go to carnivore, it was a whole thing because the whole day you've spent it out and then you've run home, you've taken a shower, you are getting out the really cool clad and threads, whatever you want to call it. And you're going out to look good. Yeah. you know, and, and, and not hoochie wise, but you're, you're going out to look good. So nowadays. Yeah. yeah and you know, Linda, it comes back to, again, culture. You see, we celebrate enough. Tanzanians, Ugandans do. So there's a big spending culture, right? Uh, um, so I, I, Nigeria, Ghana, all those people, they have celebrations. Every Friday there's, a, there's something, people shop. Even something as simple as wearing purple on a Friday makes you want to go and get a new outfit, right? Yeah. So um, I didn't know. I, it's hard for me as a retailer to talk about the Kenyan consumer. Yeah. But we do get a lot of support from the local market and they spend. Yeah. They're, they're good spenders when they appreciate design. We've got amazing, amazing local plans, right? But generally, yeah the idea is not i mean people here don't the spending culture isn't as big as in francophone africa or west africa or um yeah even new Pendleton's in here we just we're not very dressy to put it very mildly <laughs> and the men are yeah. Oh, let's not go there. Wait, guys, I'm really sorry. But you know what? I see the younger guys dressing up so much more better. I mean, these people, these, 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 um, these, a, a couple of older lads out there who, you know, um, or I should say mature lads. Um, um, I want to say the Michael O's who just always look dapper, you know. Um, I've seen a couple of, huh? <laughs> There's like four guys you know. Guy. Yeah. So but then you know, like the younger guys are trying nowadays. You know, they you know, they're getting their suits locally made and all that great stuff. So um there's a little bit of a shift, but I want to say the younger guys. No, the guys who are like my age. Well, yeah, I'm just uh, let's call a spade a spade. I'll be attacked. But um it is what it is, man. It is what it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh my god linda let's let's be kind let's be kind yes let us be kind but you know what um i feel like i need a part two with you darling because um linda must go and make chips for her young little boy um yeah. um and i feel like our conversation can continue i would like to invite you to a conversation Possibly next week, um, it would be really interesting to get your insights because I'll be talking to a couple of models. Um, I'll be talking to actually Nelvin, Nelvin oh. Shuma. And Nelvin I'll is a good one because. Yes. Yeah. Oh, 
yeah i saw his dress in your store and i was just like yummy i love anyway um so i'll be talking to nelvin i'll be talking to um a model called bc um who is south african based in yeah oh she's in she's in cape town um and she works for ice models and she's also a booker um and um there's two other uh i'll be talking to katlejo he is um he just started um a, a magazine during this pandemic called oak magazine in south africa and we just want to talk about um the shift in the industry you know what it means for models now you know because you know where they standing i've seen so many management uh companies in south africa have shut down have closed out um during this whole pandemic season so it's um there's a huge shift and we want to find out how you know what really is happening in the back end of it so you know if you want to jump in on that conversation let me know because then we continue to um love to but you know who would be really good for you for this one can you get and i'm looking for olivia sang <laughs> in 10 seconds um but have you asked sunny Sunny Dolat. Yes. Ooh, I should I'm going to I'll I'll reach out to him. Yes, 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 yes. That's a good one. Um and okay. Yeah, that would I'm game anytime, you know. But I think um what was I going to tell you? The modeling industry, that conversation is so important. It really is. Yeah. It really is. Um and and there is um from what I was understanding behind the scenes is that there's a huge shift and um, in order for us to represent our Kenyan models, there needs to be like, we come in peace type of a movement, you know? So, um, all right. I really want to thank you for your time, my darling. And I will see you later. Cause you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do a walk across the road. Yes, um, actually, um, some a glass of wine in the garden. Fantastico. I will see you in a little bit. Let me feed my son and then um, I'll make my way to you. But everybody else, thank you so much for contributing. Um, I'm really thankful to everybody who is supporting the local fashion business. I want to um, encourage you to shop um, at, at, and let's change our consumer habits. Maybe find out a little bit uh, of the background behind the brands. Sometimes it really helps in making that in making an informed decision to what you're wearing and why you're wearing it. Um, yeah, but I'm so appreciative, to, uh, um, Diana. By the way, are you dating? <laughs> oh, that's fine. Aren't you coming for wine? I'm coming for wine. That love is going to tell all. I love you so much. Thank you so much. Keep, um, Please subscribe to my channel on YouTube, which is Into the Core Podcast. I would be so grateful. Let's make a movement. Let's keep the conversations going. I'm going to keep the conversations going. I, um, yeah, and I'm just thankful. Great content. I love it. Thank you, darling. Bye. Bye, Bye darling. Woohoo. Great day.